Good morning, everyone. Uh, credit goes to uh, Neil Brennan for the three mics concept we'll be using today. Uh, this scripture we're studying today talks a lot about marriage and sexuality and sex and so forth. We meant to say this during the announcements and, and we forgot. So um, if you have small children, um, we're not going to say anything inappropriate or be graphic or anything, but you still as a parent get to decide when your kids deal with issues like this. So if you'd like this to be the day, you check out our wonderful children's ministry. You have a few minutes before we really get into it deep. All right, so there we go. Um, So we have uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. This, for thousands of years, has been some of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted passages of Scripture. And so uh, we've got heavy stuff to deal with. This deals with sexuality. This deals with marriage. This deals with lack of sexual intimacy in marriage, which I know is a difficult topic for, for many of us, right? Many of us are now immediately in the terrified place. But don't you know that God does some of his best work when we invite him into the terrified place? I mean, when you first came to God, right, you came in the excited place where you're excited for what Jesus could do and the changes he could bring. And he did that, which then helped you move to the trusting place. And the trusting place is where you're like, you know, God, you've done so good with my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you these other parts of my life because I believe, I trust that you can do good with those too. But for all of us, there were still these hidden places, right, where we were afraid to invite God in to the terrified place. Now, some of you have invited God into the terrified place and you found his healing powers show the greatest there. So for some of you, um, this is going to be the right morning for you. Uh, my daughter sent me this picture talking about inviting God into the terrified place. This is what it's like, she said, to have God say he has a plan for your life. <laughs> Thought that was great. So if we're going to talk about marriage, we're going to talk about sexual intimacy, lack of sexual intimacy in marriage. Um, I know there's a lot of trauma around this issue. I know there's a lot of hurt. And so I'm going to try to be careful with that. I'm going to try to be sensitive and, and hold all of that. But if you decide, I can't be here this morning. I can't do this. Totally understand. No, no judgment at all. But if you'd like to try at least for a few minutes here to, to see what it would like to let God and his words speak to this, I encourage you to give it a try. But if you can't, no judgment, totally understand. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. And from this verse springs the rumor, which has persisted for thousands of years now, that at our core, we Christians despise sex. We hate sex. We think it's dirty. And at some level, that we also despise women. And then you go right on to verse 2. But because of cases of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now that seems to say just the opposite of what he just got done saying. But it's kind of in a weird, creepy way that doesn't help. Because it sounds like he said, sex is really gross. But if you're going to have to do it, then at least let's pair off and be married to someone. So you're only doing that with one other person if you got to do that. So that gives us the squirms, but that's the first time I've used that phrase. I hope that catches. If you hear that on TV next year, you heard it here first. All right, so I'm not going to keep you in suspense. Uh, That's not what either of these verses mean, right? Let's, um, Let's remember where this began. 
chapter 1, verse 1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So when we're reading 1 Corinthians, we're reading a letter that he is actually answering a letter they wrote. So there's actually another letter, you know, I guess that was 1 Corinthians, but we lost it. So then this became 1 Corinthians. And this is Paul answering questions that they asked. And so this creates some weird pairings that occur throughout 1 Corinthians where something gets said that sounds harsh or awkward or unchristian. Then in the very next line, the opposite gets said, and then a paragraph of explanation. I want to show you a few other examples of this. Let's go to chapter 6, one chapter before what we're studying today. And you'll find weird stuff like, all things are lawful for me, twice. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach meant for food, and God's going to destroy both one and the other. So in this chapter, the Corinthian church is arguing that Christians ought to be able to purchase the services of prostitutes. Prostitutes are a big deal in the Roman Empire, especially at parties, and they have written Paul a letter explaining that they should be allowed to purchase prostitutes because they no longer have to obey the Old Testament law about prostitutes, hey, hey, and uh, food is meant for the stomach, which is kind of a way of saying, if God gave us a sexual appetite, he must mean for us to do something about it, and God's going to destroy us anyway, all of our bodies, so it doesn't matter what we do to our body. But that's all stuff they said. Paul comes and says these things, well, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial, they say it again, he says, but I'm not going to be dominated by you know, like sexual addiction stuff. Food is meant for the stomach and the body, blah, blah. But he says the body's not meant for fornication and the Lord's meant for the body. So the weird stuff is what they said. And then the opposite is his correction. And the paragraph that follows, which we've studied before, is his explanation. Now let's go to one chapter after what we're studying today and we'll see it happen again, chapter 8. In chapter 8, they say, um, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Now, in this verse uh, section, they are arguing about that they think they ought to be able to eat meat that was sacrificed to a pagan idol and a pagan ritual. And they're saying the reason they can do that is because they have knowledge. They know that those other gods aren't really real. So it doesn't matter who waved a dead chicken over this. They can eat it. And, uh, And Paul says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He's basically, uh, this is like dust in the wind. Anyone who claims to be a wise man surely means he does not know, doesn't it? <laughs> there it is. All right. And he's basically saying to get through this issue, it's not going to be based on how smart you are and you thinking you're super smart. We'll study chapter eight another time. It's a big one in the Bible, but I just want you to see the weird phrase that gets said, then the very next verse, the opposite, and then some explanation. So then let's look at what we are studying today. Chapter seven, it says, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. That's what they said. He's reminding them, you wrote this in your letter, now I'm going to address it. And then he says, because of cases of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. So why didn't he just say you're wrong about that? It's great for a man to touch one. Probably because they got that line from Paul. He's probably the one that said that to them, and now they're throwing it back at him in a different context. Because Paul was single. Paul was celibate. We don't know if he was uh, divorced. We don't know if he was a widower. We don't know if he was always a bachelor. But Paul was single, and he often would say that his singleness was a gift and a blessing from God because it let him travel the world and risk his life and serve the Lord, and he didn't have anything to worry about. But Paul was always very careful to say, that's my spiritual gift, Maybe not yours. Paul was always very careful to say, all the spiritual gifts are different. I have this one. You probably have a different one. And so he never put his singleness on everybody, even though he was a big fan of being single. In fact, let's look at verse 7, which ends this section we're studying. Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am, 
But each has a particular gift from God, one having one kind and another a different kind. So Paul's saying, I wish you could all be single and have the freedom I have, but that's a gift from God and and you have different gifts. And so the norm is for Christians in marriage to fulfill one another's sexual desires. And it's good. And that's the true view of Christian sexuality. So Adam's getting lonely in the garden. And so God has an offer. He says, Adam, I can bring you a companion and this companion will be perfect for you. This companion will be like of one mind and one heart with you. This companion will know your desires, Adam, and fulfill them before, before you even have to express them. This companion and you, your communication will be seamless, Adam. When this companion uh, does not expect you to know what they're thinking or feeling. They'll just tell you what they're thinking or feeling. When this companion, when you ask them, is something wrong? And they say, no, nothing's wrong. It means, no, nothing's wrong. <laughs> and Adam says, that sounds fantastic. What will that cost me? God says, this companion will cost you an arm and a leg. Adam says, ooh, what can I get for a rib? talk about inviting God into the terrified place. I want to tell you about the terrified place. Terrified place is when you're standing at the sink and you're doing the dishes and your wife comes up beside you and you brush arms and there's a little electricity and you look over and she looks at you and you know, tonight's the night. (laughs) And you're washing the dishes and you're drying the dishes and you got a little extra spring in your step. And then the kids come home from school. You know, if anything can ruin tonight's tonight, it's these kids. So you immediately go on DEFCON 1, all right? You are keeping the wife and the children separate. You're, I'll help you with that homework. I'll get that. I'll come untie that knot in your shoes. Just keep them in different rooms, if at all possible. And so you're doing your duty because you're protecting tonight's tonight. But don't you know they tried to build a wall between Mongolia and China and people still got through? And for us, it's when my son came in and poured himself a bowl of cereal and left the kitchen. And my wife said, hey, hey, get back in here and put that milk in the cabinet and the cereal in the fridge. Did you hear it? Because he heard it. Ha ha, mom, you said to put the milk in the cabinet and the cereal in the fridge. Okay, I'll put the milk in the cabinet and the cereal in the fridge. It was an easy little slip of the tongue. Anybody could have done it. But I guess when you're a mom, sometimes you just get tired of being told you're wrong all day long. Because my wife planted her feet and said, No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, Mom, you said for me to put the milk in the cabinet and the cereal in the fridge. And she said, no, I didn't. (laughs) And I can just see tonight's tonight circling the drain. (laughs) And then my son turns to me, what did you hear, Dad? Now, every single guy in the room is going, that's stupid. You should just be able to say what you heard. (laughs) Every married guy in the room knows it's not that easy. It's not that easy. That moment at the sink took weeks to cultivate that. And that's a fragile, fragile thing. What did you hear, Dad? Am I going to lie to protect tonight's the night? 
and my son's gonna be in counseling someday and he's gonna say, I had a great family and we used to go to church. My dad was a pastor and then the cereal bowl night happened and nothing was ever the same after that and that's why I became a gang leader. (laughs) Will I break one of the 10 commandments, thou shalt not lie for one night of sex? You bet I will and I'll tell you why. Because I did this exact same thing 15 years ago, and that's how he came into the world, and the way I see it, he owes me one. (laughs) Now, some of you are asking, is it really necessary for Paul to write verses into the Bible telling couples that they do not have to abstain from sex in their own marriages? Is that really necessary to give people that spiritual instruction? And the answer comes back, yes, it was necessary. And here's why. When humans create religions, and humans have created hundreds of thousands of religions, we always, in our own mind, get around to this idea, that the physical world is wrong and dirty, and there's up in some extra-dimensional space this beautiful spiritual world, and that's good, and that's what we're trying to get to. Every human-created religion finally gets around to that idea. So whereas the Bible uh, and Christianity teaches uh, resurrection of the body, and life everlasting, and a new heaven and a new earth that is renewed by God on which we live, other religions have paradise and absorption into a universal spirit and this sort of thing. And so the physical world gets kind of a bum rap in most man-made religions. And so uh, even at this time this was being written, there were philosophers called Stoics who were teaching everyone that if you really wanted to to please the gods, because they were Greek philosophers, um, that you would get rid of everything physical, and they even encouraged married, married people to stop having sex with each other to show how devoted they were to mental and spiritual things, and that would please God. So as Paul is spreading Christianity, this creates a recipe where people could get the idea in their church that if they stopped having sex even with their own spouse, that would bring them closer to God. To which Paul says, yeah, but you guys are arguing with me because now you want to purchase prostitutes. The other half of you are sleeping with people who aren't your spouse. So clearly this is not working for you all. So Paul says, why don't we bring this back to the created order? And here is Paul's prescription for the church. But because of cases of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Uh oh. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Wonderful. Paul has now just uh, offended 2,000 years worth of readers. He's offended all of us, the modern readers, because he just said, we don't have authority over our own bodies. And we don't believe that, especially if you say women don't have authority over their own bodies, because we believe we are autonomous individuals and that no one can tell us what to do, especially not with their own body, especially if we're a woman. Except that that's not what marriage is. We think that. And we have the divorce statistics to prove how wrong we are. But we think that marriage is two autonomous individuals coming together for the sake of convenience and mutual satisfaction. And when they don't like it anymore, then they don't like it anymore. But that's not what marriage is. Marriage is giving all of ourselves to another who gives all of themselves to us, which is where Paul offends all of his ancient readers. 
Because as far as I can tell, he's the only ancient author to ever say a man doesn't have authority over his own body. His wife has authority over it, and she has exclusive rights to marital intimacy with him. And this is how you can tell that Paul and the Bible and the Christian faith are not misogynist, not anti-woman. Because when you get down to the most intimate moment, Paul elevates women higher than their culture that time would have ever dreamed of, to a place of mutual authority over one another. In fact, let's be honest, Paul has just elevated women higher than they are elevated in most cultures in the world today, to a place of mutual authority. And that's not just an oddity of this verse. Paul does that again in Ephesians. There's a verse that we're all real familiar with where Paul says, um, women ought to obey their husbands as if obeying God. But have you ever had anyone tell you what the next two verses are? That husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her and that you should submit to one another out of reverence to Christ? Every time this issue comes up, Paul teaches you submit to one another. There is a mutual authority. And as far as I'm concerned, he's the only ancient writer and one of the few modern writers to express that idea. Now, we don't like mutual authority because, well, then who's in charge when there's a fight? Paul says, well, I guess God must be in charge because you two mutually submit to one another, figure it out. It's the Christian way. That is what God calls us to. And just to show how serious Paul is about this idea of marital intimacy, they must have written in their letter a proposal that they could fast from sex in order to pray. What would Paul think about that? And you can almost hear Paul in his answer here going, I don't know about that. Listen to what he says. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a set time to devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul says, okay, you want to fast from sex to pray. Right, both of you have to agree. Has to be for a short time. Has to be about the prayers and then come back together again the way married people should. And just to make sure that this idea of fasting from sex to pray does not become a permanent part of Christianity, right? You've never heard us preach that during Lent. You may have never heard this before we studied this verse. He adds verse 6. This I say by way of concession, not a command. He's saying, I'm going along with it. It was your idea, though, not mine. I don't care if you really do it or not. But if you do, it needs to be short, both agree for prayer, and then come back together again. Because the norm is for married couples to meet one another's sexual desires in their marriage relationship. And that's what the Bible teaches. Sunday school teacher for the couple's Sunday school classes on vacation. And so the pastor comes in to cover the Sunday school. And it's a huge... Um, uh, married class. There's like 50 couples in it, or 25 couples, 50 people in it. And they're from all ages and stages of life. And the pastor comes in and realizes they have gotten to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, just like we have. And so he decides, I'm going to break the tension, break the ice, but getting everybody to talk a little bit about this before we dive into the Bible lesson. And so the pastor says, I'm going to ask you all by show of hands how often you're having sex in your marriages. Of course, snickers go through the room, and some people bury their heads, and some people elbow their spouse. There's an elderly couple at the back, and the old man just grins. <laughs> and he says, all right, how many of you are having sex every day? Two hands go up. It's the newlyweds who just joined the class. Everybody has a good laugh. The old man, his grin gets wider. 
He says, how many of you are having sex once a week? More hands go up, mostly parents of young children, and they're all snickering to themselves because of all the links they go to to hide it from their kids who are always in the house somewhere at the time. And the old man, he smiles. Now you can see the white gleam of his dentures. He says, how many of you are having sex once a month? More hands go up. The old man, his hand doesn't go up, but now he's so excited, he's kind of rocking in his chair. He says, how many of you are having sex once a year? The old man's hand shoots up. He's like, sir, can I ask you at once a year, why are you so excited? He said, because tonight's the night. <laughs> so when my wife and I teach our marriage class, we uh, teach that there in ma- intimacy in marriage, uh, there is an emotional relationship, emotional intimacy, and there is physical intimacy. And for the most part, what I'm about to say really only applies to about 75% of couples, so a quarter of you are reversed on this. But for the most part, men uh, participate in the emotional relationship in order to receive physical intimacy, and women participate in the physical intimacy to receive emotional intimacy. And that's not bad. That creates a cycle that binds us together. And you can map that cycle. It creates an undulating wave that you can graph linearly over time. Now, the fact that I said an undulating wave that you can graph linearly over time means that you are listening to a nerd. And some of you are wondering right now, how did this nerd get anyone to enter into a physical relationship with him, (laughs) much less a beautiful, brilliant woman like Ashley? And the answer is that there are some miracles you don't question, you just accept. So... um, so, if you, if you watch this cycle work, there's a kind of a build-up, and then intimacy occurs. And now, some of you, particularly women, are apt sometimes to put this uh, intimacy on some sort of regular interval, like on a Wednesday, because you only work part of a day, and the kids don't have so many activities, and there's just less stress. So, Wednesday kind of works. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you that's not actually a great idea for you. Now, you may think you're doing a great thing because you're attending to the sexual desires of your spouse, and the fact that you've kind of put it on regularly helps make sure that it takes place. But I'm telling you, you've never graphed this before. This is not doing you any favors. Let let me show you. Let's say we're back here on Tuesday. We're at T minus 24 hours. (laughs) At T minus 24 hours, because I'm telling you, no matter how dumb your man is, and men can be really dumb, we can track this. We follow this cycle. And so at T minus 24 hours, suddenly your man has kitchen skills. He can chop celery. He can unload and load the dishwasher without having to be told. He can help the kids with homework. Let's fast forward to Wednesday early evening. We're now at T minus six, 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 T minus five, five, five. Your man is suddenly like something out of a Nicholas Sparks novel. (laughs) You come home from work, he hugs you without grabbing anything. He says, how was your day? And he leans against the wall and listens attentively with his head cocked to one side, nodding without correcting or fixing or offering advice. He can say things like, I'm sorry that that happened to you. That seems hard. (laughs) T minus five, five, four, four. 
Suddenly he can put kids in the bath. He can scrub them all up. He can put them in bed. He can read them a story. He can read them two stories. He can whisper promises to them. Like, if you stay in bed and don't ask for a drink of water, you can play games all night tomorrow. <laughs> two, 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 one, one. Ignition. Now I had the time of my life and I owe it all to you. <laughs> Next morning, next morning, you meet Casanova by the sink. He slaps you on the rear and says, hey, hey. <laughs> okay, haha. Um, could you pick the kids up tomorrow or today after school? What? My clan is storming a castle today, and I'm the only healer in the party with enough mana to keep them alive. He farts, throws his wet towel on the floor, and leaves the room. What happened to the vegetable chopping, child bathing, reflective listener from last night? Well, sister, he's at T minus 168 to T minus 336 hours, and he's got nothing to lose. <laughs> it's all bodily functions and video games for you for the next 5 to 14 days. Why? Because you set up a sine wave that he can detect. You want to break this cycle? Break the cycle. Say yes two nights in a row once and watch his brain sparks fly out. <laughs> My wife did that to us on our anniversary last year, and I almost said out loud, What? But we almost already did yesterday. But... <laughs> Thankfully, I reeled those words back in. You break that cycle just once and suddenly it's Thursday and he's bathing the kids. And, Daddy, why are you giving us a bath on Thursday? We just did on Wednesday. I don't know, kids. But suddenly the world is full of possibilities. <laughs> so get your rubber ducky and go, go, go. <laughs> now, right now, somebody's saying, this is all horribly manipulative and not very Christian. <laughs> okay. On behalf of men everywhere, all around the world who are at this moment electing me as their spokesman. <laughs> Please, manipulate us in this way. <laughs> now, I'll say in 12 years of being a minister, I have never had someone come to me and say, my wife thinks we should stop having sex so we can pray more. I've never heard that. I've never heard um, someone say, my husband doesn't believe in se that sex is spiritual. So I, I haven't heard exactly the things Paul is saying. Um, I have often heard, uh, my wife uh, only sleeps with me if it's my idea, if I whine and beg, and only maybe once a month if I'm fortunate. I've often heard my husband is completely disinterested in sex, and it makes me feel like there must be something horribly wrong with me. My spouse was sexually abused as a child. My spouse is addicted to pornography. I'm depressed. I have no arousal. My medication makes me impotent. There has been unfaithfulness in our marriage. I'm being abused by my spouse. They force me to do things against my will. So there's a lot of trauma in these statements and these stories. And we can't just come in here and slap 1 Corinthians chapter 7 on them like some Bible band-aid. 
But don't you know that God's word has been healing and restoring and regenerating for so many people? So why don't we take this, this tool we have, this scalpel, if you will, and let's let it do some heart surgery, but let's respect its sharpness. And let's respect how close to the heart that we're working right now. And let's maybe just take a baby step or two or three together. Can we take this baby step together? Can we say that we are Christian and we are not pagan? That we believe that the body was created by God and that it is not an accident and it is not wrong or dirty and we look forward to the resurrection and life eternal. Can we just take that baby step together? And if you could take that baby step together, can we take another baby step together and say that our spouse has a variety of desires? Our spouse has a desire for safety, to be safe in our own homes. Our spouse has a desire for honesty, to know that what is said is honest and true and reliable. Our spouse has the desire to have someone to share life with, to talk about their day and and what's gone on. Our spouse has a desire to be cared for when they're sick or afraid And our spouse has sexual desires. And that's just part of the list. Our spouse is not being immature or weird or perverted if they say they have a sexual desire. Can we just take that baby step? Now, you may not be able to fulfill that, but can we just admit that it's normal? It's not a a weird intimacy different from all of the others. Can we just take that baby step together? And I invite you into a third. Can we recognize that our spouse only has, as far as a holy, godly way to have sexual desire fulfilled, they only have us. They have no other way to fulfill that desire that is holy and before God than us. Pornography and masturbation are not Christian ways to fulfill sexual desire. Those are not open to those who follow God affairs and open marriage and uh, prostitution. Those things are not given to us as a holy, godly outlet. Now, I know some of you disagree with that. I know some of you feel like if you give permission for these things and you're not offended, then it's okay. But uh, I want to tell you, you're really oversimplifying. Those things are addictive behaviors. Those things affect the brain of your spouse in a way that robs them of their humanity. Those things, some of them come from criminal cultures of exploitation. The the suicide rates of the people who uh, produce some of those materials is higher than you can possibly imagine. So if you believe those things are options for Christians, I'd like to talk to you about that because there's a lot that you're missing in what's going on with that. And ultimately, our spouse wants to be um, desired by us. That's why they gave us their vow, and we gave our vow to them. Now, we may not be able to fulfill that right now for a variety of reasons, but I'm just asking us to take the baby step to say that they don't have any other holy option other than us. Now, if you take that third baby step, then you're now in the terrified place. Because if you admit that the body is good and sexual desire is normal and our spouse has no option but us, and yet we can't fulfill our spouse's sexual desire, then you're in a terrified place. You're caught or trapped or 
You wonder what God's going to make you do. Or... But don't you know that God is a healer? And we're right up against the heart right now. If we're not really careful with this issue, we could, we could really destroy someone here in the sanctuary today. So we gotta go slow. We can't just say, oh, I tried to sort this out years ago and I just can't. It's not, it's not enough. But don't you know that God has the power to bring healing in this area? Let me, let me talk to the one whose sexual desires are being denied or ignored. Don't you know that your spouse has their own desires for intimacy? They have a desire for safety, and maybe you're not meeting that. They have a desire for honesty. Are you meeting that? They have a desire to be cared for and someone to share life with. Are you meeting those desires? It, the hard journey here may be your desire out of selfish, or your journey out of selfishness. Also, your sexual desire may be so inflamed that no one could really meet it because you keep it constantly elevated with pornography, with sexual fantasies, with racy movies and TV shows. You keep it way up here where no one could meet it. Now, you blame your spouse and you say, oh, I engage in those materials because my spouse is not intimate enough. But weren't you involved in all that stuff before you got married? Didn't you think, oh, I'll stop doing that after I get married? Oh, I'll stop doing that after I have kids. Oh, I'll stop doing that after I become a Christian. It's because it has nothing to do with the sex you are or aren't receiving. It's coming from another place. It's coming from another place. And if you could slay that dragon, your sexual desires may come down to a level where you and your spouse could just meet in the middle. But that would be your hard journey. Maybe you're using your spouse to build your own ego. You want to be desired and you want to be attractive and approved of and you constantly require your spouse to fill that for you. And they sense that, that it's not about you and them, it's about you. Maybe you need to seek your self-esteem from God and stop requiring your sexual relationship to give you something it wasn't designed to give you. It was designed to bring you and your spouse together. It wasn't designed to make you feel better about yourself. You have to seek that other places. And, and the Lord is the primary place. So maybe, actually, the hard journey would be your own. Sexual intimacy is often broken because something else is broken. There's addiction. There's a medical condition that's not fully addressed. A self-esteem has been destroyed. Um, our bodies are scared to be touched because they've been touched wrongly in the past. We're exhausted, we're stressed, we're anxious, and we're unwilling to address that because something about being exhausted, stressed, and anxious is actually working for us right now. It's just not working for our marriage. So how do we go home today, a community that's not just a bunch of couples who aren't talking to each other? Let me talk first to those whose desires are being denied. You know that your spouse is up against something, right? You've always sensed it. You just can't figure out what it is, but they're up against something. And your desire is not enough to make them face what's going on. In fact, you may seem to them just another controlling person who's in line to take something from them that they don't want to give. And that's been the whole story of their life. And now you're playing right into that story. So if I were in your place, I would do this. I would ask your spouse today, what did you think about the message? 
And then let them talk and let them share and listen. But if they say, I don't want to talk about that, or they just dissolve into tears because you asked about it, I would say, I can, we, need, we need to be able to address this. But I can see that you're not ready to do that right now. So I want you to know that I love you. I will always be faithful to you. I will keep the vows that I made to you. And when you're ready to face this, I will face it with you. And then go to your secret place and pray for your spouse. Pray for them to have the courage to invite God into the terrified place. And there you will pray for weeks, months, years. Please remember that I did say you may pray for years. Whatever has happened, it didn't take 12 months to get it going. And it may not unwind in 12 months either. Pray for your spouse. And while you're there, pray the dangerous prayer. The dangerous prayer is this. God, what do you have for me in this? Because very rarely in these situations is any of us an innocent victim, although we cast ourselves that way. Ask God, what do you have for me in this? See if God doesn't begin to show you. You may be more of the problem than you think. That was my story. Only three things can help someone break the bondage of sexual dysfunction. Unconditional love, faithful support, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Unconditional love, faithful support, and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can provide two of those. And the third is a promise from Jesus Christ. God can do this. Now, for those of you who are unable to fulfill your spouse's sexual desire, I know you would rather not face this. You probably just got this packed away in some manageable place. And you think, I've learned to get over it. Why can't my spouse just get over it? It's not enough. And it's also not what God wants for the two of you. Now, I know this is going to mean uh, confessing. This is going to mean counseling again. It's going to mean a 12-step program. You may go to Mercy Street on 5.30 this Saturday. If you're at camp with us, 7.15 on Saturday. And you may go and you may sit in a circle and say, my hurt and my hang-up is that I don't want to have sex with my spouse. And in that circle, you just feel the lack of shock. You feel the acceptance. You feel the understanding. And through that, you feel the understanding of God who's there and understands. You know, God may be using this holy irritation to let you know he's not done yet. You've got all the rest of your life patched together so good, and then this issue keeps messing stuff up. God is using that. We call that a holy irritation to let you know he's not done yet. He's not done until you are reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. And this just shows he has a little more healing he wants to bring. If you'll just invite him into the terrified place. God will not take you further than you are willing to go on this. But I can tell you, he can take you further than you think you can go if you'll just invite him in and say, I'll take some baby steps with you. And you will be thankful in the end for the miracles that God does. If you need to, remember the last time you invited God into the terrified place and the healing that he brought. 
He can do it again. Why don't we have one more pastor joke and then let's be done. An elderly Baptist minister told me this one. He said, you know you're old when your wife comes up to you and says, let's go upstairs and have sex. And you say, honey, you know I can only do one or the other. (laughs) 